everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Universe, Universalist Fellowship of Northern Westchester. My name is Karen Proctor, and I'm a member of the Board of Trustees. We are a religious community without dogma or creed. Our fellowship promotes spiritual, religious, and personal growth and is dedicated to making our world a better place. We embrace diversity in its many forms. Here we welcome all, regardless of the many factors that separate people in our world. As our service ends, please introduce yourselves to those seated near you, whom you do not know, and make sure to invite newcomers to stay for coffee, tea, and conversation. If you have questions about our fellowship or would like more information about our Unitarian Universalism, please stop by our greeter's table after the service. We invite you to get to know us by attending worship services more than once and by attending some of the many programs of our fellowship. We welcome children in our community. Children are welcome to stay with you throughout the service. We also have a child care for our youngest children and a religious education program for older children. We ask you now prepare yourself for our time of worship. Please turn off your cell phones so that our worship experience will not be interrupted. We invite you to center yourself in silence as our prelude begins. Once again, welcome.
Good morning and welcome to our worship. Welcome to our worship on this muggy spring Sunday, this first Sunday in May, this Sunday that is Unitarian Universalist folk singer Pete Seeger's 90th birthday, this Sunday on which the lilacs are bursting open and releasing their fragrance into the air, this Sunday on which the mud in our yards and our parking lot assures us that spring is finally here for good just before we get to summer. Welcome. It is good to be with you today. If you notice um, that two of the three musical pieces um, are not what they're indicated to be in the order of service, it's because my computer apparently also misses Jim Leonard and refused to burn a CD this week that our, our sound system could play. Oh, wow. Our opening words are from Richard Gilbert. We bid you welcome, who come with weary spirit seeking rest, who come with troubles that are too much with you, who come hurt and afraid. We bid you welcome, who come with hope in your heart, who come with anticipation in your step, who come proud and joyous. We bid you welcome, who are seekers of a new faith, who come to probe and explore, who come to learn. We bid you welcome, who enter this hall as a homecoming, who have found here room for your spirit, who find in this people a family. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey, We bid you welcome. It's good to be together this morning. Please rise as you are able and join us in our unison words of chalice lighting and affirmation. May the light of this flame illuminate our lives. May it guide us in our spiritual journeys and inspire us to heal misunderstandings, strengthen love, and work for justice and peace. Love is the doctrine of this fellowship. The quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek truth in love, to serve humanity in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow into harmony. Thus do we covenant with one another. Our opening hymn is number 360, Here We Have Gathered. I invite you to remain standing as you're able to do so.
I now invite any children who are with us this morning to come forward, and Pat is going to tell you a very special story. Swimmy? Yeah? Okay. This one is called Frederick, and it's by Leo Leone. It's about a little mouse and his friends. Here he is sitting on a rock. All along the meadow where the cows grazed and the horses ran... There was an old stone wall. In that wall, not far from the barn and the granary, a chatty family of field mice had their home. But the farmers had moved away. The barn was abandoned and the granary stood empty. Abandoned means nobody lived there anymore. There were no animals. And since winter was not far off, the little mice began to gather corn and nuts and wheat and straw. They all worked day and night, all except Frederick. See them all working here? Here's Frederick. Frederick, why don't you work, they asked. I do work, said Frederick. I gather sun rays for the cold, dark winter days. And when they saw Frederick sitting there staring at the meadow, they said, And now, Frederick? I gather colors, answered Frederick simply, for winter is gray. Come on up a little bit so you can see the pictures. This is Frederick right here. And once Frederick seemed half asleep. Are you dreaming, Frederick? They asked reproachfully, which means they didn't approve. But Frederick said, oh, no, I am gathering words, for the winter days are long and many. And we'll run out of things to say. The winter days came, and when the first snow fell, the five little field mice took to their hideout in the stones. In the beginning, there was lots to eat, and the mice told stories of foolish foxes and silly cats. They were a happy family. But little by little, they had nibbled up most of the nuts and berries. The straw was gone, gone, and the corn was only a memory. It was cold in the wall, 
and no one felt like chatting. Then they remembered what Frederick had said about sun rays and colors and words. What about your supplies, Frederick, they asked. Close your eyes, said Frederick, as he climbed on a big stone. Now I send you the rays of the sun. Do you feel how they're golden glow? And as Frederick spoke of the sun, the four little mice began to feel warmer. Was it Frederick's voice? Was it magic? And how about the colors, Frederick? They asked anxiously. Close your eyes again. Frederick said, and when he told them of the blue periwinkles, the red poppies and the yellow wheat, and the green leaves of the berry bush, they saw the colors as clearly as if they had been painted in their minds. And the words, Frederick? Frederick cleared his throat, <clears throat> waited a moment, and then, as if from a stage, he said, Who scatters snowflakes? Who melts the ice? Who spoils the weather? Who makes it nice? Who grows the four-leaf clovers in June? Who dims the daylight? Who lights the moon? Four little field mice who live in the sky. Four little field mice like you and I. One is the spring mouse who turns on the showers. Then comes the summer who paints in the flowers. The fall mouse is next with walnuts and wheat. And winter is last with little cold feet. Aren't we lucky the seasons are four? Think of a year with one less or one more. When Frederick had finished, they all applauded. But Frederick, they said, you are a poet. Frederick blushed, took a bow, and said shyly, I know it. And now our children are going to go to their children's chapel, and we are going to sing them out. The words are in your order of service. We gather in community for worship with one another to hold up those things in our lives that have great meaning. And some of those things are milestones of great joy. 
and we hold them up to celebrate with one another on their occasion. Some of those things are milestones of great sorrow, and we hold them up so that the sorrow might be shared and lessened in each of our hearts. If this has been a time of great joy or great sorrow for you, if you have a milestone you would like to share with this community, I invite you to come forward to briefly tell us about it and, if you wish, to light a candle. I'm Patty Colombo, and I got to spend the last weekend in Boston with our coming-of-age group, which are nine out of our ten sixth, seventh, and eighth graders that are doing the coming-of-age program this year, with um, along with Jane and Michael and James and myself as the chaperones. And it was a wonderful weekend in Boston, and really got to know the kids. And I would really encourage everyone to be here on June. 7th, um, which will be the coming-of-age service, so you don't want to miss it. It's a really great opportunity to get to know the young, um, young adults in our congregation. This is a candle of... Thanks, and actually it's a candle of sadness, and I'm laying this for Cyril. Um, a couple of weeks ago, Donna Renkro lit a candle for Cyril, for her brother, who was um, battling cancer. And Cyril this morning was having a conversation with Donna, and neither of them could be here um, to say this, so Donna asked me to relay Cyril, who's with our youngest members, um, giving them love and attention, and she wanted us to know that she appreciates all of your thoughts and prayers for her brother, but he did pass away. As usual, I'd like to light a candle for our soldiers who are in um, Iraq and Afghanistan for their safety and for them to do the great job they're doing so that we can live the lives we're living. And we light one final candle for those joys and sorrows that remain silent in our hearts and minds and in the hearts and minds of those in our community who could not be with us this morning. We prepare now for a time of silence, a time for your centering, for reflection, for meditation or prayer, as is appropriate on your spiritual journey. And as we prepare for that time of silence, I offer you this meditation from the Reverend Max Kutz. When love is felt or fear is known, when holidays and holy days and such times come, when anniversaries arrive by calendar or consciousness, when seasons come, as seasons do, old and known but somehow new, when lives are born, when people die, when something sacred's sensed in soil, in sky, mark 
the time. Respond with thought or prayer or smile or grief. Let nothing living slip between the fingers of the mind. For all of these are holy things we will not, cannot find again. I invite you now to rise as you are able and join us in our meditation hymn. This one's easy to find. It's number one. May nothing evil cross this door.
From time to time in this community, we recognize those people who have decided to make the commitment to become members in our community. It's a joyous occasion that we get to celebrate those people who have put their names into the book in which every name of every member who has ever joined this congregation is, um, is present. It's a long stream of members that goes back to the founding of this fellowship in 1957. And over the last year, a number of people have joined that stream, and we honor them today. I invite Jane Hewitt, co-chair of our Membership and Hospitality Committee, to come forward, and we will read the names of our newest members, and as we do so, we invite them to come forward and to receive a flower. We have a book for you that's somewhere on a UPS truck between Boston and here, (laughs) ordered weeks ago, and yet somehow not in New York yet. Um, We promise we'll get you the book in due time. Doris Pancaldo, Richard Bennett, Francoise Bennett, Please stay up here. Pat Krugman. Jason Davis. Michelle McAuliffe. Now Vintner. Barbara Arrington Dodds. Doug Hausman, she's next, (laughs) Kelly Hausman, Alan Smith, Diana Rice, John Herman, and Violet Herman, Terry Sachs.
We welcome our newest members to this fellowship. We can honor them maybe with a round of applause. And by way of blessing you and your membership, we invite the congregation to join me and Jane in a responsive reading. It's number 728. And we invite you to just stand there and, and soak it in. Jane and I will read the parts in regular print, and the rest of you can read the parts in italics. And we invite you to substitute the word fellowship for the word church. It's what we use around here. Blessed are those who yearn for deepening more than escape, who are not afraid to grow in spirit. Blessed are those who bring their children, who invite their friends to come along, to join in fellowship, service, learning, and growth. Blessed are those who know that the fellowship is often imperfect, yet rather than harbor feelings of anger or disappointment, bring their concerns and needs to the attention of the fellowship's leaders. Blessed are those who speak their minds in meetings. Who can take and give criticism. Who keep alive their sense of humor. Blessed are they, indeed. We welcome you. From the light of days remembered Burns a beacon bright and clear 
uniting hands and hearts and spirits into faith set free from fear. When the fire of commitment sets our mind and soul ablaze, when our hunger and our passion meet to call us on our way, when we assurance of the flame that burns within, then our promise finds fulfillment and our future can begin. From the stories of For some people, signing the membership book in a religious community is no big deal. In one fellowship I worked at, in fact, they had to change their practice of having the book open for people to sign on the first Monday of every month when they realized that people were mistaking it for the guest book. (laughs) Who's Betty Smith? Someone asked across the office, leafing through the time-worn membership book a book very much like our own, a book that contained the signatures of ever, every member who had ever joined their fellowship. Oh, Betty Smith, she came once a few months ago. We followed up with her, and she said she didn't think she'd be coming back. Why do you ask? Well, um, she signed our membership book. For some people, choosing to become a member is a mysterious process. What do those blue dots mean? What's the difference between a member and a non-member? Can I come to events at the fellowship if I haven't signed a book? There's a book? I have to sign it? I'm betting, in fact, that there are people here in this community today who are pretty sure you are members, even though your name 
is nowhere to be found in our membership book. The flip side to not having the membership book out and available all the time is that it sometimes takes people a little while to figure out how to become members in the first place. I've recently heard feedback that makes me think we need to be a little more open about our membership processes. Consider the message heard. For some people, becoming an official member of a congregation is a really big deal. I know that there are some people who have been coming to this fellowship for decades who are not formally members, though you would never know it by their dedication to our community. Different people have different reasons for this. Many people I've talked to have expressed their concern that signing our membership book somehow would negate another part of who they are, especially a religious and cultural upbringing that is important to their identity. I get that. Even if I truly believe that Unitarian Universalism is one of the few religions in this world that allow you to be both it and something else. But truth be told, I'm always glad when people take the commitment of membership in any community seriously. Signing our book should be a step along your journey, neither the first step nor the last step on that journey. And given that the material benefits of membership are few, even though they're important, a vote in congregational governance, a chance to serve on our board, an asterisk by your name in our directory, and that blue dot on your name tag, given that the material benefits are few, (laughs) the act of signing our membership book has to have spiritual benefits that come along with it. Becoming a member, something done by the mere act of signing our membership book, must be an outward expression of an inward commitment, an agreement to be part of this covenantal community, an agreement to live up to the responsibilities of membership. Responsibilities, you might ask? I believe that there are three basic commitments inherent in the decision to become a member in this community, three basic responsibilities that each member of this fellowship should be held to. And those things are a commitment to ourselves, a commitment to our fellowship, and a commitment to our world. First, I believe that signing our membership book means that you are making a commitment to your own spiritual journey, a commitment to explore, to learn, to stretch yourself, a commitment to care for yourself when you need care, to step back when you need room to breathe, to re-engage when you can, a commitment to reflect about your own values and motivations, to examine your spiritual longings, and to speak up when you need something from this community. It is necessary that we ask members to make a commitment to themselves. Next, It is necessary that the covenant of membership include a commitment to the institution that is this fellowship and to the other people who make up the gathered community here. This includes several things. It means a commitment to showing up on Sunday mornings to worship on a regular basis, to special events, to congregational meetings like the one we're having at the end of this month. It means a commitment to pitching in to sharing in the ministry of this fellowship, even in small ways, if that's what you can do. 
It means a commitment to the financial well-being of this institution through generosity. And it means a commitment to helping envision the fellowship's future. Now, I don't mean to imply that everyone should be engaged at the same level, that we all need to be the volunteer of the year or the highest pledging donor. Clearly, that's not possible. But we need to make a commitment to finding our own place within this fellowship community. Finally, I believe that Unitarian Universalism asks us to make a commitment to healing our broken world. I like to explain to people that Unitarian Universalists don't agree on many theological matters, but the one that we can all embrace is that as human beings, we have some power to do good in our world. For me, I believe that this power comes with the responsibility to help create beloved community, to work for justice and equity, to care for our planet and its creatures. You might not feel as strongly about this as I do, yet I believe that part of our commitment as members in this religious community is to think about how our spiritual journey is reflected in our relationships with the world outside of this fellowship's walls, a commitment at the very least to live your deepest values out in our world. About a year and a half ago, I introduced the concept of shared ministry in a sermon here. At the time, I wanted to be able to be sure that people here knew that it was okay to care for yourselves, to engage with the fellowship from a place of joy instead of guilt, to take a step back if you needed to. At the time, there were a lot of tired folks in the chairs here every Sunday. That's not so much the case anymore. There's a lot of energy here. A lot of things are going on. New people bringing new ideas and vitality to our community. Longtime members rediscovering the joys of membership. It's been a wonderful transformation, and I hope it will sustain itself. Yet the call to shared ministry is as needed as it was then. If you were here for that service, let me briefly refresh your memory about what I mean by that term. And if you're new since then, let me introduce you to this way of being together. A movement towards shared ministry means a rethinking of what membership means. It means changing the relationship between members and our fellowship. In order to change the relationship, we need to understand where we're starting. And I believe that right now too many people in too many congregations view their relationship with their community of faith is that of consumer and service provider. We come on Sundays, we pay our dues, we contribute to the plate when it's passed, and in return, we receive some bit of spiritual guidance and insight, some beautiful music, some reflection, a hopefully thoughtful sermon, a cup of coffee. These are the things we get for our admission fee. For a little bit extra, we get the deluxe package, complete with RE classes for our children, adult classes for us, space for our gatherings, programs for our youth. We approach religion this way because it's the way our society is run. We pay for services all the time. Banking, haircuts, dinners. Why not worship? Well, there are good reasons why not theological reasons that are foundational to who we are as Unitarian Universalists. Long ago, you see, our spiritual ancestors decided that there had to be a better, 
way, a more democratic, a freer, a less hierarchical system for running communities of faith, a better way than the one that they had inherited from the Church of England. And so they created it. But I'm getting ahead of myself. In discussing shared ministry, my late colleague, the Reverend Roy Phillips, began with a centuries-old idea taken from the Quakers, the idea of the abolition of the laity. Think about that for a second. The abolition of lay people in our congregations leaves us only with ministers, which is precisely the point. What this idea means is erasing the distinction between member and minister, empowering us all to be ministers, each in our own unique and special way, each with our own call, discerned from our values, our gifts, our experiences, our passions, and our abilities. This is the basic goal of a shift toward the shared ministry model. In a congregation which operates under the shared ministry model, all members are ministers of the fellowship. All people share in the ministry of the community. Now, when I bring things like this up, I always hear people questioning why, in such a system, we would then need a professional minister. There are many good reasons for that, I assure you. (laughs) Not the least of which is that it helps you to share the ministry. If there's someone here to engage full-time in the practices of theological reflection, of constant learning, of pastoral listening, of meaning-making with you. But it's important to understand the theology behind shared ministry because it's a theology that traces its way all the way back to 1648 to those spiritual ancestors I mentioned earlier. 1648, when the congregations of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, many of which would become Unitarian congregations subsequently, came together to devise a brand new way to govern themselves, a way that came to be known as congregationalism, a method of governance we still use to this day. And the congregational system, in which each gathered community is ultimately responsible for its own affairs, in which there are no bishops or popes or presbyteries to tell us what to do, that system has theological implications regarding membership and ministry. The people who assembled in Cambridge, Massachusetts, on and off for two years in those early days of colonial conquest in these parts decided that their clergy would not be set apart from the rest of the membership by an indelible mark from God. They decided that they would call ministers from among themselves They educated their ministers. They invested a lot in their ministers. And in return, those ministers served essentially lifetime appointments. But never in that system was the minister seen as someone who had a special and unique relationship with God, a relationship that was unavailable to everyone else. Never did the minister have holy powers or other such things. Don't I wish sometimes. Just... Special training and a call to deep reflection and ongoing relationship with the members of his, and they were all his in those days, congregation. Months and years from now, I don't want to be flipping through our membership book and come across a name that I don't recognize from my time here as minister. 
I don't ever want to have this fellowship's equivalent of Betty Smith, who thought she was signing a guest book. I, and I know I'm not alone, want membership here to mean something. So I ask, what does it mean to you? What has it meant over the course of your time here? What do you hope it will mean in time to come? What is it that you feel called to do? What is it that you are ready and able to commit to? How do you see yourself interacting with and committing to others in this community? How can you see yourself sharing in the ministry of this religious institution? I hope that together we can explore these things. May it be so. In a moment, we will receive our offering. Our offering is shared. 50% of it supports the many ministries of this fellowship, the good work that we do every day here in this building and in our community. The other 50% of it supports causes that we are involved with in the wider world. The offering for the months of April and May will be shared with the Mount Kisco Interfaith Food Pantry, a food pantry run by a number of congregations in this area who come together to make sure that there is food for those in our community who do not have enough to eat. And the Interfaith Food Pantry has seen the numbers of clients coming to it swell as our economic situation has become worse. And so their, their need for funds to buy um, food for, for the people that they serve um, has increased as well. And so we appreciate um, your generosity to this fellowship and to the Interfaith Food Pantry. Our offering will now be gratefully received. It is a custom in this religious community to, from time to time, give you a chance to share something that you're thinking about, something that you have reflected upon, something that's come into your mind or heart during this religious ceremony of worship. Um, I ended our sermon today with a couple of questions that I hope you'll, you'll think about as we engage in our congregational reflection if you are a member here, if you've been one for a few weeks or many years, what does that membership mean to you? If you're not, 
a member here, if you've been here for weeks or months, or if this is your first day here, what might it mean to be a member in a religious community? And what would a community of faith look like that you would feel proud to make the commitment to membership in? I invite you to reflect and share with us. Please raise your hand and Erica will get you the microphone.
Now that you've walked all the way up here, Erica. If you, if you want weekly exercise, please feel free to join the worship committee. We meet the first Tuesday of every month. Hello. Um, so basically my angle on this is that, yes, it's a great idea that we should get to know each other, but I think for some of us coming from different um, spiritual backgrounds, there's I, I, I keep, my favorite phrase is like herding cats, you know, trying to get people to sometimes like from, uh, say, my Catholic upbringing, you know, I'm, I'm working on my resistance to showing up every Sunday because I, this is so enjoyable being here and it's just a wonderful community. But there's also, you know, other things that we individually are working on as people. So, um, you know, that's always a factor. You know, I think for me it's trying to figure out how in the future um, our lives will be part of your community. We really would like to do it not haphazardly and just um, kind of, you know, sort of like I may be somebody who's like, oh, this is exciting or that's exciting, let's join this group or that. I'd like to do it in a little slower, more deliberate way. So for me, um, it takes a little longer to figure out how I want to be part. But I know this is, like you said, Barbara, a really great place to be. And it's, um, it's been very nurturing and very opening to, uh, you know, us creating a family with, you know, bringing kids here and being part of the Sunday training. And so there's a lot of, like, kind of um, 
like, wow, how are we going to do this? But it's exciting and it's good. So I'm open to be, to meeting with everybody, but it just takes a little while. So, you know, same with you, Barbara, right? Same story. <laughs> okay. I, yeah, I, this is going to sound really self-serving, but I have the perfect answer for people who want... To, that's right, that's right. It comes but once a year. It's where everybody kind of shows up, finds out what's going to be happening socially. Sometimes it can be spiritually. Sometimes, it, I mean, it's like everything that's happening over the past year. If you did nothing but come and sit and listen, you'd find out you'd get a lot of personality because there's an awful lot of personality at the surface auction, not just from up in the front, in the front town in the bidding area. Um, you would find out things that are happening. You could partake or not partake, and you can also put it off until next spring if you want to because there's things happening through the whole year. But actually, it just seriously, uh, that is the way that I have come to know people in the fellowship more than any other way possibly, even even worship, because I'm not always the kind of person who talks at coffee hour either. Um, I like to kind of get involved and get to know people on a, on a more casual basis, and that's uh, that's what the service auction does for me. Hi, thank you, Michael. Um, I'm Michael Jacoby, and I represent the long-term non-members of this congregation. Um, I am standing up. No, this is my, that's my father's joke. I am standing up. I am standing up now. Um, you, you know, I, I love this um, fellowship. I love these people. My love is my commitment to it. I have not signed the book. I am one of the few people who will actually count the votes because you need non-members to count votes when you have congregational <laughs> meetings. I don't know exactly why. You know, I, I almost wanted to say as you were delivering your uh, sermon today, uh, nice try, pal. Um, <laughs> but... And, 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 and I just want to say that, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I'm a member of a, a, another fellowship as well where the only requirement for membership has to do with your commitment to a better way of life. Um, I feel very similar to this. This is my commitment to a better way of life. I get a tremendous amount. I give what I can. I will never, ever, member or not, serve on any of these committees. I just cannot bring myself to do that. But that's speaking for myself. There'll be a meeting of one in the back of the room at the end of this. Um, but I love the fact that people are so committed and will join and will speak up for it. And I just felt a need to say there are also one of us here that does not and may never, and I may go down in history as the oldest serving, most committed non-member. <laughs> Hi, Scott Dyer. I, I think you did do a good job, Michael, notwithstanding what Brother Michael and my dear friend said, said about his sermon. And, you know, as a member for a number of years, I mean, there's so much that, that resonates with what you're saying and, you know, how good it feels to see all the children come up and to know that I'm part of helping that happen. How good it feels to provide a place where people can do joys and sorrows, and it's very meaningful, and these are things that have to be shared and to help provide a place for that. I feel that sense when we're having difficult meetings on fellowship issues in our committees and all, and, you know, a slightly different take on the committee side. I find a spirituality there. 
I find better decisions happening through a group coming together and talking about issues and ideas and coming to a conclusion and grappling with things that we might have different results on if we were to individually make those decisions. But that, to me, is as much a part of the spirituality that I receive from the fellowship as, in many cases, being here in community worship. Um, and I would encourage everyone to do the committee work. Some of it is, as one of our longtime now deceased members said, God's work, which he defined as work that nobody else ever would want to do. Um, but there's a spirituality there as well, and I think that's, that's, a, that's a very important piece, and it repays us far more than the effort that I put into it. I, I know that. Hi, I'm Pat Krugman. Uh, as all of you were talking, I realized that I started coming about a year ago, uh, visiting and uh, and realized at some point that I could join. It didn't have to be on a particular part of the year. Um, and uh, as some of you may know, I I realized also that I've been looking for a spiritual home for about 38 years since my father passed, and I. I experienced such a joy of being a part of the community here. Um, and as a counterpart to some of you that take it slow and easy, and I understand that, I do that quite often, uh, I've been very quiet and shy a good part of my life. And uh, those days are over. I say jump in with both feet and start swimming. <laughs> Thank you all for your wonderful reflections. And for proving, once again, as you always do, that it takes all kinds of folks to make an interesting and vibrant community. If we were 135 chairs of the Finance Committee, life would not be fun. And if we were 135 people who refused to sign the book but did everything that was asked of them, life would not be fun either. So, Olympia Brown, Universalist minister in the mid-19th century, the first woman recognized by her faith as a minister in the United States, once said this. She said, Stand by this faith. Work for it and sacrifice for it. There is nothing in all the world so important as to be loyal to this faith which has placed before us the loftiest ideals, which has comforted us in sorrow, strengthened us for noble duty, and made the world beautiful. Do not demand immediate results, but rejoice that we are worthy to be entrusted with this great message, that you are strong enough to work for a great true principle without counting the cost. Go on finding ever new applications of these truths and new enjoyments in their contemplation, always trusting in the one God which ever lives and loves. I invite you now to rise as you're able and join us in our unison words of chalice distinguishing and in our closing hymn, the words to which are in your order of service. Carry the flame of peace and love.